Welcome to Bash University Live, everybody. Um, what a great uh, topic we're taking on today. It's what's happening right now. It's been going on for a while, but it seems to be coming to a head right now, and that's forward-facing sonar. Should it be banned from tournaments? Uh, should it? Is it uh, giving anglers an unfair advantage over the fish? Or is it helping anglers that, you know, have never been able to catch fish that well, taking guys that are new to the sport, letting them go out and catch fish fast now? Uh, is, it, is it a great thing for the sport, making it more fun for everybody? Or is it creating an unfair advantage and we need to really look at technology and how it's impacting fishing? That's what's going on. And we've got two great guests. Uh, Randy Blaukett, he's been out there on social and everywhere being a strong proponent against it. Uh, looking forward to having him on and hearing his uh, voice, hearing his opinion about why he feels that way, what, how it's changing the sport and his thoughts there. And Drew Benton is coming on from the Bassmaster Elites. Drew is, uh, is a proponent of forward-facing sonar. He has spent a lot of time, energy, and effort learning this patterns around it and he really would like to see it stay so that's the show for today and uh can't wait to have both those guys on so really really looking forward to that guys bash university uh as always like and share the feed on social we got a great prize for you we got a grand prize if you're uh if you watch till the end we're gonna have some great questions for you guys we have uh, some aquaview hats to give away and a lot of great stuff going on there Jocelyn, let me throw it to you right now. I think that's a little out of order, but Ben's I talked about the prizes. Let's go there. What are we giving away today? We are giving away for our grand prize some big bite baits, tilapia magic, a hummingbird hat, bashu face shield, and an aqua view hat. And for our like and share is gonna be a waterwood custom bait. Awesome. Awesome, guys. So hang in there. We love giving that stuff away to all of our subscribers. Get over there and get subscribed to bashu.tv. If you haven't done that yet, do it now. It's going to help you become a better angler. And Bash U had, uh, once again, uh, we were releasing some amazing content that at Bash University TV every single week, Rich. And uh, this week's no different. Yeah, yeah. So last week we uh, we put out a, a piece by Derek Hudnall. Uh, we, we shot with him a few months ago. And the whole concept of that seminar is versatility. And versatility that's like the name of the game in bass fishing, especially tournament bass fishing. You have to be able to be adapting. You have to be able to change, make adjustments on the fly. And uh, Derek went through the process of kind of how he goes down the road of making some of those adjustments and how he got himself to be a versatile angler. Um, being that he's a South Louisiana guy, he, he you know, this, the spinning rod stuff, a lot of those guys down there don't even own spinning rods. Now, when you get out on the tournament trail and you're, you're, you're on the national circuit, you're going to bodies of water all over the country. Well, guess what? You better be able to use the old the upside-down rod. And, uh, you know, Derek really went over his process on how he became a versatile angler. And one of the things that really stood out to me um, in that seminar. And I, I know, Justin, you spent a lot of time looking at this one as well. So I definitely want to hear your opinion as well. But the, the one of the big takeaways I had is that he actually 
compared us as bass fishermen to crackheads. Okay. And I know that's kind of <laughs> off the wall, right? And it's not something you hear, you know, paired together that often. But he said we're like crackheads because the first bite you get on something, it automatically, it injects a feeling into you that you want to get that feeling again. You want to catch another fish on a frog. You want to catch another fish on a jig, on a worm, whatever it may have been. And we get caught as anglers not being versatile and not being able to make adjustments when we go chasing that feeling that that may not be the best available bite for that day, right? So knowing that, you know, it's not always going to be the first thing that you might have caught one on for the day. That might have just been the first piece of the puzzle to what's going on. And you have to be able to take that information and build your pattern around it. And uh, yeah, that really stood out to me because I, I can definitely relate to that, man. I think a lot of bass anglers can, the, can relate to that. I <laughs> the, 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 the smoking crack part? <laughs> Not the smoking crack part, Pete, but the, 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 the cracking one on a swim jig in the grass, cracking one on a frog, whatever it may be. You know well, the feeling that I'm talking about. And, you know, we got to be able to be versatile and not not get so locked into one thing. So I, I got to say it uh, and I'm going to throw it to you, Justin, um, on on your viewing of, of his seminar. But the uh, Ike, I, this is probably before all your time. Randy Blaukett probably remembers this, but Ike was heavily criticized. Like uh, when he got up on stage one time and uh, he was thrilled. At the, I don't know if he won the tournament or if he was just being interviewed, but he's like, bass fishing is just the most amazing sport in the world. It's like uh, he compared it to crack. It's like <laughs> so addictive. It's it's you just can't stop. It's a, it's the most addicting thing that there is. And he loved it so much. And but back at the time when he did that, that was uh that was quite radical and uh, took, a, took a little bit of beating in the press for it. But go, Derek. You too. You too, brother. Uh, I like it. Justin, what, what, what are your what's your take on his seminar? Yeah, I mean, uh, Riz broke it down pretty good. Uh, one of my favorite things was him talking about the crackhead deal, which was funny. <laughs> I feel like we can all relate to for sure. Uh, the other thing I really liked was just him talking about breaking out of your comfort zone, which – you know, all of us deal with that all the time. Like mm -hmm. said, you said, know, just love throwing the swim jig, love flipping, but times are changing. Got to gotta learn how to catch them deep, you know, stuff like that. And uh, like Riz mentioned, he was from Louisiana, and he literally said in the seminar he didn't own a spinning rod. So uh, he definitely had to break out of his comfort zone. And, uh, yeah, I think that's something important that everyone can take from that seminar for sure. Good advice. Uh, like a lot of people that are having a hard time breaking out of their comfort zone with forward-facing sonar, um, a lot of a lot of people are are struggling with that uh, still. And I think that's maybe at the root of the controversy that we're dealing with right now. Uh, but we, uh, but that being versatile, I think is 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 critical to be successful as an angler because you and you have to do a couple of things as to be successful. You have to understand what, what your strengths are. Uh, and those are really important for you to be successful, but your strengths, whether it be flipping or forward facing sonar or whatever it may be, you're going to run into some scenarios 
that um, just are going to be uh, outside of your wheelhouse and you have to survive. You have to get fish to the scales. So you got if you're, you know, that power guy, you got to be able to pick up that spinning rod. You got to be able to drop shot. You got to be able to uh, take, go down that road effectively. And that's, I could see that being a, a struggle and something that's really important to Derek coming from that part of the country. Cause it's also similar there. It's all swamp. It's Tarnasas. It's runoff. There's some tidal Im- influence. Um, but then you get up, there's, there's not that many reservoirs in that part of the country. As you get up a little further North, there are, and you got to learn that process. And then as you get even up further North and the tournament trail is going to take you there, you got the natural lakes, the glacial lakes, the tidal rivers with heavy tide flow, and you've got to be able to uh, adjust to those. You know, one of the things that I work with my guys on at Bash U, and I think this is really key, is to be able to, on when, when you know, you have your rods out on the deck of your boat, right? We're prepared for a multitude of, of things we might face, but whatever the rod it is you're picking up, I want my goal is to have you be as confident with whatever tool that is, whether you got to pick up your spinning rod. You want to you want to be confident you can catch five pounders on that or be competitive, picking up a jig, a spinner bait. In other words, I don't want you to man. I I don't want to pick up that chatter bait. It's just not a tool I'm comfortable with, you know, because conditions will change and that there will be a moment that that chatter bait is the absolute magic weapon. And you, you need to be confident in it. Um, so being versatile is, is absolutely key. So that's a great, great seminar. Uh, appreciate Derek sharing that with us. What do we have? Uh, who, who, who is, who are we releasing next week, guys? Yeah. So for, uh, for next week, we, uh, we have a, a, a really good one coming out. Um, actually we have one coming out tomorrow, um, with, uh, Greg De Palma. Um, and that is, uh, it's an, it, it's, we're releasing it as an on water, but it's really, it's really an in boat, uh, seminar. And it was cool. We shot it at Champlain with Greg and the whole concept of that seminar is preparation like a professional. Um, and what we did was we went through, uh, we went through Greg's boat, truck, gear, rig, everything top to bottom and went through how he stays organized, how he prepares for a day on the water, how he makes it all fit and, 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 and has all that gear and uses it efficiently throughout a tournament season, throughout a tournament tournament day. Um, so that's a really good one to check out. I mean, I know for me, especially like, you know, I, I mean, I struggle with organization, Pete, and I know, you know, our boats kind of look similar a lot of the time. <laughs> and we have, we have gear everywhere. There's, there's, there's line wrapped up in our cables. There's, there's stuff going on everywhere. So like, you know, tackle storage and organization and where you keep everything and how you make it all work for your fishing. That's challenging, man. And it's not, it's not just the something that you're, you can just go out there and do right away. Like, if you need an example to see how a professional bass angler lays out his boat so that he is organized and ready to go for a day on the water, this is it. Greg's the guy for that. He's extremely organized. So, um, yeah, that's going to be that's going to be coming out tomorrow, um, and then next week on the seminar. Uh, next week on the seminar lineup, we're going to be releasing Caleb Summerall frogging 
all year long, right? We, we think about a lot uh, of frog fishing and we think summertime, we think hot water, um, you know, only certain situations. Well, Caleb breaks down why that frog, it needs to be on your boat or at least rigged up in your boat all year long if you're on bodies of water that stay above that mid 50s mark because it can be an effective weapon to catch fish. So that's that's definitely a good one that's going to come out next week. I'm sure we'll dive in on that on next week's live show and give away some more, but I don't want to give away too much of the juice right now, Pete, cuz we uh we 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 got we got a great we got a great live show coming up with Lockett and and Benton. It's going to be going to be good times. You know, I take a little offense uh, to you pointing out my uh, condition of my organization in my boat, Riz. Ah, jeez. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, it gets uh, it gets the best of us. Well, I, I, it's it's a weakness of mine, and I, it's something. Organization is uh, is something that uh, I struggle with throughout my whole career, and I've there's some things that I've done that really helped me. I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, GDP does because he is tight. He keeps his gear. Uh, tight, and I know there's something there that I can pick up and apply right away because um, I'm all, I, I like it. You know, they say the sign of a, a messy boat is a sign of a creative mind at work, and that's yeah. what I'm going with. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you don't want you don't want to spend too much time organizing your uh, you know your your tungsten weights when you could be uh, solving a tournament strategy. You know what I'm saying, yeah. Riz? You I, feel me? I I. I <laughs> I totally get it, Pete. Yesterday, my uh, my boat got its yearly bath and organized, and you know, I had, had the had the pressure washer out and sprayed the shampoo or the, the 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 shaving cream all over the carpet and the whole deal, and it's shined up and ready to go. And <laughs> back to the fish. Awesome. I, I'm sure it appreciated its annual uh, its annual cleaning. There's there's yeah. bass boat owners all over listening to this right now, cringing. The, the boat yeah. gets watched once a year. Uh, guys, we want to hear from you. Um, this is a big topic. We've got Randy Blauket um, and Drew Benton. We're talking the pros and cons of forward-facing sonar. We want to know what you think. Uh, what is your opinion? Should we keep it? Should we kill it? Uh, let us know what you think. We're going to take um, a quick commercial break. We're going to start out with Randy Blauket. I'm lo really looking forward to to having him on the show. I know he's been really vocal uh, in his stance against, and let's, uh, let's hear from you guys too. So let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with two-time Bassmaster winner, Randy Blaukett. I'm Pete Gluzek, the Dean of the Bass University, and we're excited to partner with Waterwood Baits and showcase their innovative handmade approach to making amazing lures. Hey guys, this is Elite Series Pro Todd Alton here. Just wanted to tell you a little bit about the company Waterwood and their crankbaits and topwaters they're building. They're high quality baits. They're made from a marupa wood that's, you know, grows in the rainforest in Brazil. It's 1.5 in all the waterwood baits because of the wood will be a staple in my arsenal from here on out. I love it. Spotted bass. It's got the old waterwood.
underwater viewing technology. Find what you are looking for. Catch more fish. Have more fun. AquaView. Seeing is believing. Why do you love catching fish and rods? I'm truly losing less fish. Is the sensitivity of the rod. That's made right here in North Carolina in the USA. Strongest, lightest rod, 100% made here in Sanford, North Carolina. From the drop shot rod to the flipping stick. Every rod has a purpose to it, and I rely on them all the time when I'm out during the tournament. Durability in the John Cruz Worming Series, the counterbalancing in the handle. It's the only rod I've found that can withstand my hook set. Boom, goes the dynamite. On the water, not spent fishing is a moment wasted. That's why Minkota and Humminbird have joined forces to bring you the One Boat Network. Products that communicate and integrate to help you take full command of your boat. Born from our commitment to making the most advanced fishing gear even better by making it work together. The One Boat Network will help you find, get to, stay on, and catch more fish. When One Boat Network products talk to each other, they can navigate your boat automatically. They can give you a crystal clear view of what's below with no messy wires. And they can let you lower, raise, and change shallow water anchor modes from anywhere on the boat. But that's just the beginning. We're never done innovating, integrating, and making your boat simpler and easier to control. All so you can make every second on the water count. Portland Line Master Braid, America's premium super braided fishing line. Manufactured in our Cortland, New York facility and constructed from the highest quality spectra fibers available. Cortland Line Company, made in America since 1915. Well, I have to have the best eyewear. My eyes are essential to doing my job. It's the highest quality lens that I've ever used. Top of the line performance in these glasses. But they're priced for absolutely everyone. The everyday angler can afford them. As a touring professional pro, if I can depend on them, I know the weekend angler can as well. Hobie eyewear, built for the pros. Price for everyone. Welcome back to Bass University Live, guys. If you're just joining us, we are uh, having a debate. We're taking on the forward-facing sonar topic with some heavy hitters. Um, and we have Randy Blaukett coming on just now. And he has been a strong uh, proponent um, against uh, forward-facing sonar. And there he is. I want to I wanna mention this because it was it was a magical moment for me randy i'll never forget it i don't think anybody will ever forget when you sunk your ranger boat and you got underneath that bridge at uh at bugs island at kerr reservoir and won that tournament uh it was the most it was the most amazing impactful thing and it stuck with me from the beginning of my career yeah that was a uh definitely sort of the that that win came at the right time man in my career that's basically when you and i were starting out there and it just 
that particular tournament, I just hit everything at the right place at the right time. We had a hurricane came up the East Coast and it flooded the lake out. And how many times do you have the lake flooded in October? Never. So Never. I got a flooded condition. I got to flip willow trees, which is my favorite way to catch bass. And it was just like it was meant to be, man. It, it was awesome. I remember you flipping that jig over top of the trees. You know what I mean? Like, because it was so flooded that you couldn't get under and you had to go over top and uh, I guess get the bite and worry about getting them in the boat second. Yeah, those willows in that tournament was really weird because those willows, they they had a skinny base on them, but they had limbs that extended like way out over the base. And a lot of the shade was way up underneath there, and you couldn't flip and pitch under it, so you had to go over it. And um, yeah, it was, awesome. uh, it was one of those once-in-a-lifetime, you know, perfect scenarios that unfolded there. And it was captured on Bassmasters, you know, back in the heyday, uh, you know, when the production was the only production in town. And, yeah. uh, you know, we were all watching that. I guess it was on TNN Network at that time. And uh, it, that was that was super cool, and it's an iconic moment, I think, in bass fishing. And that's your moment. And uh, and you went on, you won again on the Mobile Delta. I was in that tournament with you um, mm -hmm. when you won down there, and you've went on to you know win about a million and a half bucks in, in you know both bass and FLW side. So uh, you know you've had you've had a big big career in this sport, man. You're you're one of the one of the veterans and. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show. It's, I, you know, it's awesome to have you on the show. We've fished together for years, but I'm thrilled to have you. And you've been, uh, you've kind of become a social media uh, beacon right now. Uh, you know, the stuff you're putting out, people are talking about it. And you're, you're really uh, making an impact out there in the sport. Yeah, I mean, this is something, if you guys have watched, you know, my YouTube channel, I've been a vocal opponent of forward-facing sonar technology for over two years. And people said, oh, you're just doing it to get clicks and get attention. That's not the case, Pete. I have lost probably probably over 20,000 subscribers for my anti-live scope stance. And when I talk about climate change issues, there's a lot of people that, you know, that alienate. So I've been willing to lose a tremendous amount of subscribers and the revenue that goes along with that because I think this is the good fight to have. You know, we can get into that here, but... Um, I, I don't think there's there's any justification for uh, the technology that we're seeing unfold, which is just in the beginning. Here's one thing you got to realize is that forward facing sonar and that type of technology is in its infancy. And, you know, if you multiply that fast forward from 10 years from now, you know, it's really disturbing unless there's some brakes put on, you know, what's going to unfold as far as the danger of the sustainability of our fisheries and this probably the biggest um the, the biggest policy that i see anglers you know get into when they have this disagreement is they always go back oh you got to learn at times are changing you're a dinosaur either adapt or get left behind you know just because you can see them doesn't mean they're going to buy that is a non-issue that's not what this argument is about we're talking about sustainability issues we're talking about tradition of the sport we're talking about protecting the integrity of what bass fishing is and we're talking about preserving the magic and the mystery. I mean, once you remove the mystery of fishing and the magic and the unknown from fishing, you degrade the intrinsic value of what fishing is. I mean, it's it's sort of like, okay, take, for example, um, parks. 
you know, we have parks all over the country. Why do you think people are attracted to parks? They're attracted to parks because it gives them some type of a connection to nature, even though that connection may be sort of a sterile, civilized connection. But nevertheless, people have to be there because there's a healing therapeutic aspect to being in nature. And it's the same thing with fishing and the unknown. And once you remove that unknown from fishing, which live imaging technology is doing rapidly, you know, it's an insult to the fish. It's an insult to the fish. It's an insult to the sport. It degrades what bass fishing is all about. Just to name one or two things, we got a huge <laughs> list of other things that go with it. <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, wow. You said a lot and you've, uh, and for those of you, I know there, there may even be some listening here forward. Uh, let's just, what is forward facing sonar? It is the ability to look out in front of your boat at really 360 degrees and you can identify uh, biomass. You can identify bait fish. You can identify uh, pre predators. Uh, you can't necessarily identify species yet. Like you said, technology is changing and people are learning how to identify species, but it's still a guess. But that's that's what's available right now. That's what we're we're talking about, guys. And the you know i you know where where can we where can we start with this uh let's start from uh i guess the holistic perspective are you do you think we need to ban this technology period ban it from tournament fishing uh where where do you think we should draw the line well let me read you something here because i this this is an interesting correlation remember when bassmaster banned the uh, a rig yeah, I want to yes. read you. I want to read you something. Why Bassmaster, the tournament committee, decided to ban it? They basically the press release was something like this. It's like um, our classic and lead uh, anglers simply have a higher standard for the sake of competition, and the rules committee has decided that uh, our events represent the highest level of professionalism in the sport. And as participants in these board, in the, as participants in these events, elite series anglers should be held to a higher standard. That's why we like the idea of one one rod and one reel. Now, Bass banned the A rig out of principle and tradition, and they at this as of now they've been ignoring that same tradition with forward facing sonar. Here's what here is my opinion on the thing. When 360 came out and when down imaging came out, I was like not happy about it, but it's like you know whatever. But when they created technology that actually allows you to see fish in live time react to your bait where you can manipulate your bait to generate strikes from those fish and you're oblivious to the rest of the outside world you're simply staring at a screen that crossed the precipice that crossed the line and in my opinion as far as the elite that well, any tournament organizations we have to set some type of a line where we have some type of equipment limitations and tradition in my opinion if I own Bassmaster, if I was a major sponsor of any organization, I would say, here's the deal, guys. You guys can have one 2D sonar unit on your console, a GPS unit, and you can have one 2D sonar and a GPS on the front. Then you go out and find fish. You guys go out and figure out bass movement, behavior, and personality. You refine techniques. You get stealthy. You use your primal intuitive skills to find these fish. We are not going to allow our competitors to use live imaging technology or any of this advancing technology as a crutch. Because when you do that, 
you diminish what the sport is about. You diminish that mystery and the magic, and you can't discount that. You cannot discount the mystery and the magic and the value because we don't need to be, we do not need to get so good at fishing where we know where everything's at. We don't need to know where those fish are at. Those fish that are getting caught right now by live imaging technology and have the last couple of years prior to this, those fish were undisturbed since the beginning of when we started bass fishing for, for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Those fish had a sanctuary out there and now there's nowhere for them to hide. And here's the problem with it. I was down at Tabor Rock three different times this year. There were dudes out on the boat dock flaying out a limit of bass that they had caught live scoping. You have got as you've got more people fishing than ever before. You got more pressure on the fish. You got the anglers becoming more educated and we have a finite amount of bass in these lakes. We don't have infinite amount of fish. And if you continue with promoting this technology and advancing this technology and having more people use this technology, it is unsustainable in the long term that our fisheries can can keep up with that. It is going to destroy the sport of this. The, it is going to destroy the sport of bass fishing in this country if technology is allowed to continue with no breaks on it. And I'll I'll debate that with anyone out there. Well, uh, let's let's do it a little bit. Number one, you've you're allowing like in your proposal. You commented about five things here, so I'm taking notes so I can keep up with you. You're coming at it hard, but we're taking you're okay with some technology, but not others. The line that you're drawing is a, is a is kind of a tricky line to draw. Like, I mean, you could say, hey, if you're going to ban, ban ban technology, you got to ban it all. You got to get rid of 2D. You got to get rid of mapping. Well, the thing about it, you have there has to be some line drawn somewhere, and I think from the from the standpoint of allowing anglers to showcase their strengths and their talents, if you limit it to two D sonar, that gives the anglers an opportunity to show to showcase the diversity of talents that they have. They can fish shallow, they can fish mid depths, they can fish deep as they want. And the thing about that, as we advance forward with this technology you're going to see strengths and, vers and, and versatility and diversity and techniques amongst anglers diminish and deteriorate. And eventually it's just gonna be people that are expert at reading forward facing sonar and whatever that advancing technology is. Like I said, in five or 10 years from now, unless there's some breaks put on it, there's no telling what they're gonna have out there. But no, I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, it's like, where do you draw the line? And for me personally, as somebody that has been a professional fisherman for 35 years, I've made my living at it. I'm in the trenches. I've paid my dues just like you have, Pete. And I, that's sort of the line that I put on it that is sort of a compromise, the 2D sonar. It's the same with limitations NASCAR's put on cars, that with other professional sports that put on their equipment limitations. Bass fishing is the only sport out there that has not put equipment limitations on unless they want to uh, you know, kneecap the shallow water anglers. They've taken away our ability to use jet drives. They've taken away your ability to get out and push your boat over sandbars. They've taken out every ability that shallow water anglers like myself, Keith Pochet, all the old school, hardcore shallow water fishermen. And they've given free reins to these dudes to put a million dollars worth of electronics on their boat if they want. And then we get into the whole income disparity thing about people that can afford that technology and people that can't. 
turning bass fishing into an elitist sport. And it goes on and on and on. That's just the that's just the tip will, of the iceberg. Let, let me let me defend the tournament organization somewhat. They're looking at this, and if you think they're not looking at it, they are. Uh, I, as a matter of, I've had uh, there's rumors that they're they're taking votes and they're making decisions about what they're going to be doing with this moving forward. So, from their perspective, I think they. I think they look at it. Maybe we don't always like their decision, but I, I think the tournament organizations do look at it, and they are looking at this right now. And I want to challenge your mystery of fishing a little bit um, because you're kind of forcing me on the pro side of this because you're so adamant. So I'm, uh, they're, everybody in the tournament has the same technology. Everybody. Everybody... Um, you know, we're learning these techniques because a lot of them are taught in our classrooms about how these various techniques can be used to trigger strikes from fish you see, how to, you know, identify fish that can be caught versus ones that can't. Uh, there is, and you'll see them out there fail over and over again, and you'll see a certain percentage of guys that figure that mystery out, that figure that subtle distinction of what those marks are telling them how those fish are relating to bait habitat and how they're able to adjust. Um, uh, Cody Huff is a, and is an example. I want to point out watching him up at thousand islands with 10 different rods on the deck of the boat, just like we do in shallow water, just like we do on the bank. He's cycling through different lures, trying to figure the, what the solution is, how to get these fish to react. What, you know, what color change or size or depth or weight, that I have to. So I argue the mystery persists. These guys, it's not automatic. Just because you see them, that does not mean you're going to catch them. I disagree with that, Pete, because when you talk about guys like Cody Huff and Ford Facing Sonar, they've already been given the whole puzzle. They're, they have to put one piece of the puzzle together, mm -hmm. which is figuring out what those fish want to bite, which is the easiest part of it. The hardest part is finding and locating those fish. Those forward-facing sonar fish that all those smallmouth guys been catching at the St. Lawrence and uh, Lake St. Clair and Champlain out there, they never would have found those fish without forward-facing sonar. The easiest part of it is catching them once you find them, but they're finding fish out there that were that were in the past were impossible to fish. Now, once in a while, some guy would stumble on them by accident or you'd hear some guy catch a, some bass trolling out in open water. But they have been given all the puzzle. They're putting one piece of the puzzle together there with that. Uh, that's true. But that's a mystery. And it's hard. And you can see, you can tell it's hard because a hundred of the best anglers in the world are trying to do the same thing. And they're unable to do it. So there's well, obviously a skill set, a big time skill set here. The, I, again, I disagree with that. And, you know, respectfully, Pete, because I do I respect your opinion, man. You've been in the trenches. You've been in the trenches as long as I have, but you, okay, you say air, the technology is available to everybody. It's not because you look at those three stacked units those guys have up front, two on the console. How much money retail is that? You're talking about $20,000. Let me give you one example. I was at the Bassmaster Open at Lake Livingston three years ago, and I pull up on the ramp, and there's this truck pulls up in front of me. It's a brand new Ford, you know, F250 diesel tricked out probably hundred thousand dollar truck brandy ranger 521 three stack unit up there two in the back and this 
probably 18, 20 year old kid gets out of it. He's, he's rolling in this $250,000 rig. And then I go up to the campground and there's another guy in the campground that's got a beat up like a 1991 Skeeter with like a little five inch electronic unit on it, unit on it. Both of those dudes are in the tournament. Now there is a, there is an unfair advantage because of the income disparity. One person is afforded the, you know, everything, the best money technology can buy. Somebody else in the same tournament cannot afford that. And I go back to my same analogy. If, if somebody say in professional bowling, somebody designed a bowling ball that would track perfectly and you could get a strike nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10, but this bowling ball cost $300,000 and it was legal in the tournaments. Obviously, you know, is the PG, is the PBA going to put limitations on that? Or are you going to allow people that can afford that to have that technology and other people can't? It's, it, it's the same thing with bass fishing and, and all the expensive electronics. And I'll say this again, that's <laughs> off the topic, make no mistake about this. This entire forward facing sonar is all about money. It, that's why they banned the A-Rig because there was no money behind it. But these electronic companies out there, they are putting a gag order on all the pros, not to say a bad word about it, but you can't deny the fact that just like Gerald Swindle's poll, 72% of his viewers were against forward facing sonar. They don't want to see it in tournaments. 80, 87% of my subscribers are against forward facing sonar. The public does not want to see it. The public does not want it. They don't want to watch it on TV. Bassmaster and MLF ratings are going to go down the tube because people do not want to see this. But that's not the reason it should be banned. That's just one of the byproducts of it. It's all this other stuff, mainly the sustainability issues. And that's the issue I really want to talk about. All right. Well, let's let me talk about the finances. And, and, I, and I, you know, I think we're in you know, agreement on, on some of that. And this is, this is challenging to deal with because you talk about, you know, putting four to five sonar units on there. Uh, Koyo Fujita has five uh, forward facing transducers on his boat. Um, there's ridiculous. Yeah. It's a monster. Um, it's a monster investment. When, when we were at this, we, we had 150 horsepower limits on our boats. Um, that was, um, you know, it was still expensive then, right? It's still been a, a very expensive sport to go, you know, to get involved with, but now it's, it's 250 horsepowers and it's a monster amount of sonar, uh, and electronics that go into your boat. So it is, it, it is become, it is, um, a financially draining sport. And we, we struggle with that. I think as sport as a whole, think that's one of the reasons that kayak world has really exploded and it's given people a course to enjoy the sport that um that they all love but you know it, it makes it bridges that 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 financial uh disparity but it, it is really a it's a hard thing and i get that and uh and i and i don't know the answer to that you know banning forward facing sonar we're still going to be having 70 or eighty thousand dollar bass boats you know what i mean it's still uh, you still need a sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollar truck to tell them. Uh, you know, I'm not sure sonar banning is really the where we want to look at to to minimize the cost. Okay, let me throw you a question to you out to you, Pete. There, when do we draw a line on it? Okay, if if tournament organizations are okay 
with forward-facing sonar and how it's completely morphing the sport into something that is not good for the sport because the fans are even telling, the, the fans are shouting at the top of their lungs, we don't want this, we don't want it. And yet we, we still have not had the tournament organizations respond to that pressure. They're bowing to the pressure of the, of the electronic companies. But at what point do you draw a line? I mean, at what point does this technology get so advanced that there's literally no challenge left in fishing anymore? Eventually, I mean, what if they, what if they develop a unit that can monitor and read the, the fish personality and movement and behavior and their, their ability to bite. So, say, for example, they can identify one fish. It's like this fish has a 98% chance of biting if you get a lure next to it. This fish has a 25% based upon its mood and personality and environmental conditions. At what point do we say enough is enough? And my opinion on the thing, and Pete, I have been in this. I have taken the heat on it. I have taken the criticism. I've gotten hate mail, you know, like you can't believe over it. I still stand by the fact that the people that are pro sonar, pro technology, pro forward facing sonar, number one, they don't understand sustainability issues. And number two, it's all about what's here for me now. I don't care about that. I've had, I've had my day in the sun. I've qualified for the classics, one tournaments, whatever. My concern is for the sustainability of the generations on down the line. And I have yet to talk to any proponent of forward facing sonar that care doesn't care anything more about what's here for them here and now how it's going to help them catch more fish all this type of stuff including the tournament organizations at what at what point does the tournament organization say okay we've got to be better conservationists we've got to start stopping these bed fishing tournaments we've got to start stop having these live weigh-ins and hauling the fish around in the boat beating them up all the time we got to put a break on this technology because we have got to leave something better for the future. And there's no argument for the for the pro forward facing sonar that can address that sonar crowd. OK, um, sustainability that um, let, let's take it on uh, the. All right. With respect to sustainability, we're talking about the conservation of the natural resource. We're talking about, um, I guess you know, meat hunters uh, going out there and using this type of technology to uh, catch and eat. Here are some things that, that, that can fly in the face of that. Some, we just broke records up at Thousand Islands with the heaviest winning weight ever um, that were caught. The catch rates, everybody stayed after because the fishery is so, so amazing and seems to continue to improve. Uh, that everybody wants to vacation there. The limits um, are established by the DNRs, by the departments of uh, conservation, natural resources, depending on what your state calls it. They put limits, right? We're only allowed to keep so much um, and kill. Everything else has to be released. And we've done such a good job in bass. Do you really think it's going to be a problem? I mean, I don't know anybody uh, that catches and eats bass. I don't know anybody that does that. Do you really think that's going to be a problem? Well, let me, I'll address all these points here. Number one, the St. Lawrence river is an outlier because, you know, the Gobi, you know, uh, infiltration of there has improved that fishery tremendously. But other than that, it's the technology that goes with it. You, you and I fished all the St. Lawrence tournaments back in the day 
back when the only thing guys had were jerk baits and spinner baits and they ran to Shimo Bay, you know, that's more of a realistic weight that you'd have on there. So technology creates 15, this. 15, 15 to 17 pounds a day would get you a win. Right. Yeah, you and I were there in the day, man. I, I remember. But here, here's the problem you have and take away St. Lawrence River because of the Gobi situation. Fishing is tougher and our lakes suck more now than they ever have in the history of our fishing. But it's an illusion that it's better because technology creates this illusion that we have better fishing. We have better lure, rod and reel technology, better boat technology, trolling motor, electronic technology, lure technology. Here's the thing about it. All you guys watching this podcast, go to your favorite lake right now that you, that, you know, you think's your best lake. Go out there and put on a hellbender, a lazy ike, and a jitterbug, and a black jig and pork frog and see how many bass you catch. These are the same lures that I used to catch loads of fish on, big ones, 45 years ago at Table Rock Lake. And if I did that today, I'd fish a week and never get a bite on it simply because the fisheries are not as good as they used to be. But you cannot deny that this illusion is created by better fishing and by the fact we know more about fishing than we have right now. But as fishing pressure increases on our lakes and as technology gets more advanced on all different levels, it's going to continue to, to put a pressure on these fisheries. And it is a finite, a finite resource. And I've talked to the I've talked to the conservation departments, the Missouri Department of Conservation, they are actively doing studies on forward-facing sonar. And in my opinion, if we're going to get this banned, I don't see bass for MLF doing it. As long as the electronic companies are throwing money at them, they're not going to do it. They're not, they're not going to do the right thing. And don't get me wrong, I love bass and MLF. I'm the biggest proponents, but it's almost like a dad. I'm like a dad advising their kid not to do something bad. I still love them, but I still am critical if they're doing something bad. But in my opinion, the conservation departments are going to be the one that they're going to ban this eventually. And I'll, I'll give you one example, Pete. Stockton Lake up in Missouri here north of my house, the great crappie lake up there. Used, I used to go up there a lot and crappie fish. And maybe if I went 10 times in one month, maybe one day out of 10 days, I'd catch my limit of 15 crappie. You go up there now, every single crappie boat's got live scope. And I talk to these dudes and they go, yeah, with live scope, I can go out and catch my limit in 15 or 20 minutes every single day. Now, you don't think that that's going to have some sustainability uh, issues down in the future. And another thing, or you're talking about bass, people don't eat bass. There is a ton of people that still keep and eat bass that are live scoping. There is a ton of bass anglers in this country that think if they're going to go out and spend money buying a bass boat and putting gas in the boat and driving to the lake, that they, they're going to have a mess of fish to show for it. And they keep bass a lot more than what you think. I see it all the time. I'm on all these lake feeds across the country, and there's always people talking about, you know, cooking up bass. So we can't get sucked into the uh, the fall of fallacy that people are not keeping and catching and killing these bass, along with the delayed mortality that comes with bear trauma from catching these fish deep with live scope, which is a whole nother issue with it that you should be against it. Well, lot lot of points, and and the the what's going a lot of the DNR people that you that I've talked to, they recommend keeping more than we're keeping, right? We got to call the herd some uh, in order to make a sustainable, a better sustainable population. In order, in, in other words, a lot of lakes catch and release has overwhelmed 
the population in a negative way. Uh, so there, there needs to be a, a little bit of that that goes on. They, they're doing fish shocking. All, they're they're well-funded, a lot of the state organizations, and they, put their, they, they build these limits on what we're able to keep based on the results that they're finding. And we'll see it. We saw it, uh, you know, I saw it on the Hudson River most recently, which um, is one of my favorite places to fish. They put a 15-inch limit on the bass there because they saw a decline and they, they made an adjustment. We'll see limits get reduced from 15 to 10 to 7 to 5 or whatever it may be on individual states. But I, I think, you know, the, the DNRs uh, are going to be active. I'm glad Missouri's taking a look at it and assessing. We constantly need to be assessing the, the populations and making adjustments and educate. Uh, education and, you know, being out on the forefront. Catch and Release has done an amazing job as, you know, because all avid bass anglers, you're right, there's meat eaters out there. I know they're always going to exist. They love to get all the, they love to exploit it on social because they freak all of us out, you know, because they're, they're eating bass. So they love to post that stuff. But the vast majority of bass anglers are sportsmen and we let them go. Uh, crappie, you, you make a good point because there, there's something going on here. The crappie angler is notoriously a catch and eat uh, kind of angler. And they are, those limits on those fish have to be severely, that has to be looked at because forward-facing sonar is, it has changed the crappie world. And depending on who you talk to, it's a really good thing or a really bad thing. It takes guys that had terrible fishing experiences and now they're avid anglers. They love the sport and they're doing it all the time. They're having a ball where they be frustrated. Uh, you know, so there's a lot more people coming into the sport that way. The crappie fishing world is expanding, I think, mainly because of forward-facing sonar. Like you said, they're, they're able to go out there and do it now where they would get lost and, and not be able to find the fish. Um, education, I think, is a key part. To, you know, we got to let these guys know that they can't keep them all. Uh, and that's got to come from the state organizations, too, to put tighter limits. Hey, we can't keep 15. It's got to go down to 10. Or, or whatever the adjustment may be, but um, but I, I understand the 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 controversy. I'm coming at it from the kind of the opposite side of things. Um, I think we have some good measures in place right now with limits, with with good state organizations and our platforms to uh, on catch and release. That I, I don't think forward facing sonar is going to hurt it. Well, you know. Here's a couple of different things to address that, you know, first of all, talk about the uh, sustainability on that. I've got about 20 different foreign people from, I got about pe people from about 20 different foreign countries subscribed to my YouTube channel. I got this one guy that lives in Australia and he's like, told me that the Murray cod population down there has been devastated by live scope. So you got it on a global level, not just to not local here, but I think the one of the most important things we have to look at is we're looking at the situation now from the state of the art forward facing sonar that we have right now. But if, if back to my question before, if this technology continues to advance and improve and refine more and get even better, at what point do we have to put a break on it? And I, my observation with a lot of the conservation departments around the country, with the exception of maybe Texas, I think Texas has done an exemplary job is that they are a little behind the curve. It's like they wait a little bit too long because 
they their focus is more on seeing the bass as a resource for people to consume if they want to. Personally, I don't think they put enough uh, emphasis on habitat, which is, I think is even a little bit more important. But ultimately, it goes back to the point of, and I've thrown this out before, about the whole thing about money. It's like, I'll pose this question to you, Pete, out there, and a couple of different things. Let's, and I've talked about this before. Let's say, for example, I won Powerball. I won a billion dollars in Powerball. And I went to Bassmaster. I went to MLF. said, guys, I'm going to sponsor you. In my YouTube channel, Intuitive Angley wants to be a sponsor of you guys. I'm going to, here's a 10-year contract. I'm going to pay you $10 million a year. But these guys, there's going to be no forward-facing sonar. They're going to have one 2D sonar on their upfront, one on the console, and that's all they can have. I can promise you the next season, all the dudes out there, all the Cody Huffs, everybody that's fishing that would have a 2D sonar on the console and up front. And I think until you take money out of the equation, I, and I don't think Bass and, and MLF is going to do the right thing. And you can't and you cannot let money influence your decision when you talk about these things, when you talk about these issues that we're talking about. I just think that's that's a huge disservice to the sport out there. I think that we have got to take the high road. I've got I think we have to have an ethical high ground. I think we have to do what is right. I think we can't let money motivate it. And if they're concerned about money, they need to listen to all these people, the fans out there that say we don't want to see this. It's boring. We turn it over to golf or bowling after five minutes. That ought to be enough form right there. Well, I, I, that's a good point, and let's talk about that because I know Gerald Swindle's um, question was exactly that. Like, it wasn't about the philosophical and conservation standpoint. It was about the: do you like watching it or do you not like watching it? And and. His results uh, that I heard, and I'm just paraphrasing, I don't have the exact data. So I, I thought it was something like 75, I think you mentioned it too, something like 75, 25. 75% did not enjoy the viewing experience of, uh, of forward-facing sonar. And I liked what Humminbird did. I liked what they did at the Classic where they put a, a screen on screenshot where you could see um, when Gussie was was fishing for those fish and you could, you know, see them react. And I, I thought that made the viewing experience great and a, a lot more interesting. But in, in the defense of that, again, like every time we're on the Great Lakes, it's always going to look like that. You know, every time it, when you're, when, when you're fishing a ledge on the Tennessee river, it's going to look like that. You're just going to be staring at the back of a guy, you know, um, mm -hmm. And so that's 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 not going to change much, you know, to, to people that don't like watching it. But I guess I guess here's, you know, some thoughts on the matter is it isn't I, I really enjoyed it. Like uh, recently, the elite tournament when um, Jason Christie was flipping on Champlain. I don't mm -hmm. know if you got to. See, but he had he had a camera in the boat. And I don't even know if he was in the top 10, but they put a camera in his boat because uh, he was shallow fishing you know, and they could cycle through the shots away from the forward facing sonar guys. And, you know, we could see a guy flip, flipping reed heads yeah. and Jack, you jack at a big large mouth and swinging them into the boat. You know, I mean, that's, I, I, that I get it. I think they're hearing us and people, Randy, I think they're listening. Uh, and they're, they're obviously watching their viewership on this stuff. 
so I think its viewability is definitely in question right now. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if I was an advertiser with MLF or Bassmaster and I paid attention to the whole energy and vibe of the bass fishing scene, I would sit here and say, look, it's obvious that viewers do not want to watch forward-facing sonar tournaments, which 95% of the tournaments are. I mean, it's not just the smallmouth tournaments. It's every tournament. And I would be very hesitant in investing within those organizations to build my uh you know, brand name and increase impressions for my product if they're not listening to the people that are buying the products out there. I, I just don't quite understand it. I mean, I don't know what kind of money these electronic companies are are paying, but it's obviously got to be pretty substantial to to influence decisions over doing the right thing. Because if you list, okay, if, if you made a list, okay, let's uh, let's list the advantages of forward-facing sonar in the world of bass fishing from the sustainability viewpoint versus the disadvantages you're going to it's it's not there's there's no advantage to it there's none whatsoever and there's a 6000 of them against it out there there's not one single thing about forward facing sonar that is making the sport better for the long term and the sustainability of the fishing fishery not one single thing yeah it makes fishing easier i'm not i've never denied that it's it's an incredible tool and in my opinion forward-facing sonar should stay around and evolve and only be used in the hands of the conservation departments for, for study. I mean, it would be a great tool for them to monitor and study fish behavior, but it should not be in the public's hand because you, you can't count on the public to do the right thing. You can't do it. I mean, they do, a lot of people don't have the discipline to do the right thing. And we're going to see that. And if, some, if, if people can't, look at this at the big picture down the road and see the potential danger of it. I just think people have their head in the sand. It's just like, you know, when we pump 50 billion tons of CO2 into our atmosphere every year from man-made equipment out there to not equate that it's going to have something to do with our environment is denial the same with this forward facing sonar. So I just think a lot of people are, there's too focused on what's here and now what's, me, 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 what's, what, how's this going to benefit me now? And a lot of times we have to remove ourselves to that and think about the planet and the fisheries that we're going to hand off to our grandchildren. I don't see that coming from Bassmaster and MLF right now. And make no mistake about it, Pete, Bassmaster and MLF have got to take the lead on this. If they don't take the lead on this, nobody's going to. There's already, I get emails all the time from clubs around the country that have decided to ban forward facing sonar. I, that, that, I, pr I probably get probably five or six a month, <coughs> excuse me, a, a month from clubs out there that have voted to ban it. So there's an appetite for that. But like I said, Bass and MLF have got to set the stage for that. Randy, uh, that's, I'm going to let you have that final word. It's well spoken, and I applaud your efforts for the conservation of the resource and I can see how passionate you are about it. We all can. And uh, your voice is a strong one and, uh, and I applaud you for putting it out there. Uh, it's awesome to see. And uh, I appreciate you taking a little time. I think I, I got a feeling we're going to have to have a follow-up show to this because uh, uh, we, we, we have a lot of IMs. We got a lot of social comments and people are blowing us up. So, uh, but we'll, uh, I know we're on a, a schedule with you and you got to go. I'm so appreciative of you being here and, uh, Look forward to having you on again, and, and best of luck in, in the tournaments down the road. Well, thanks, Pete. Good to see you again, man. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. Well, 
Oh, you bet. You bet. Have a great day. Randy okay. Blau, buddy, a uh, champ uh, and, a, you know, a serious professional angler that is, um, you know, made his mark in the sport as a fisherman and, and really a strong uh, proponent or, you know, advocate for the resource, which is really awesome. I know we had a lot of questions going in. I kept asking my question. I was hogging the platform, guys. Yeah, it was so, uh, a very active message board. That's uh, that's for yeah. sure. Um, all right, let's do a quick. All right, Justin, Josh, you guys were all watching. Um, of all the comments you saw, was what was it? Pro uh, versus con on uh, forward facing sonar? Just give me a ballpark. Justin, you first. I I think uh, majority of the people probably didn't agree with Randy, but there was definitely people that that did. Um, there was a lot of people that wanted to talk about, you know, his thoughts on the spawn fishing during the spawn. I mean, for example, that, that Cayuga tournament, uh, you know, that's probably easier to catch fish than with forward facing sonar, you know, and mm -hmm. from a conservation standpoint, where, where do you draw, draw the line there? There's so many different variables to it. And I think that's what a lot of people were we're trying to get their questions in on and also uh, people mentioning, you know, guys like Louis Minetti who fished the Bassmaster Classic with a tore up boat and no forward facing sonar. So Randy did say, you know, it it varies from lake to lake, definitely. But um, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of questions. There are more of statements than, than questions, I would say. Yeah, I well, it's a, it brought up an interesting point. A lot of, and we didn't get to talk about it. Maybe we will with Drew. But the uh, shallow water anglers say, "Never been a better time to be a shallow water angler." Everybody's out yep. off the bank, you know. So, Jocelyn, what were you seeing? Pro, pro and con. What, 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 there what was, did it look there like? was definitely a lot that was going on, but a lot of the the pros to keeping the sonar is that it's going to keep developing the sport and. And the sport of fishing has is always going to be growing and there's no stopping it. Um, and then the cons were more so about the environment and um, like what we talked about, the DNRs and the, the amount of fish that are not there. And it's they believe it's because of the forward facing sonar. It was an interesting. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Well, we, we heard a strong voice. Uh, Rich, did you want to weigh in on that? I mean, I I don't know if I have already voiced this on our shows past or not. I mean, um, I'm I'm in kind of a I'm in a funny position with this whole deal, Pete. Um, and it's because I I am a shallow water. I consider myself a shallow water fisherman. You know, I I am I'm a grass rat. I, I where we live, we live we live on the Chesapeake Bay, and I'm in five feet of water or less almost every time my boat goes out and uh but i'm also i'm also a tournament angler and i like to compete and i travel and i do realize that you know that i can't do that everywhere i go so i am on i'm just starting to learn forward facing sonar um spent a lot of time with it in the summer and uh i'm i'm fast i'm i'm still at the fate at the phase right now where i'm fascinated by forward facing sonar i'm learning it it's 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 re it's igniting a deep water fishing fire inside me that I 
frankly, just didn't care to go do. You know, I I, I want to go. I want to go flip reed heads on Champlain. I want to go. I want to go swim a jig through the grass. I want to do all that stuff, but I don't want to get my teeth kicked in by guys catching twenty two <laughs> pounds of smallmouth that I'm not even going to look at. So you know, I. I I'm 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 in a position where like I'm I, I love to fish shallow. I would rather fish shallow every single day, but I am becoming more and more intrigued and fascinated by how I can learn fisheries with forward facing sonar. So um yeah, it's kind of my stance on it. You know, I'm I'm small potatoes as far as the, the, the tournament scene goes. I gotta just go and keep rolling with whatever however it goes. And right now it's like if I'm not going to learn it, I'm going to keep. I'm going to get beat. So I'm learning. <laughs> you, you're every man, Rich. You're every man that loves this sport and wants to get better at it. Whether you're a tournament guy or you know, aspiring pro or just a guy who wants to catch more fish on the weekends and have fun. Yeah. You know? So uh, that's an interesting perspective. We we're going to take a commercial break, or we're going to go right into Drew. Yeah, we're going to do a quick. We're going to do a quick spot. Uh, we'll do a, a one minute break here, and uh, and we'll bring it bring it right back into drew you know we're going to change gears a little bit um and uh you know since we are bash you we 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 gotta we gotta bring in the education from both sides of the both sides of the coin here and uh you know i think we're we're excited to uh hear hear what drew has to say on the topic so absolutely we want to see uh, a guy that's uh, strong on the other side of this issue so um, we're going to take a quick commercial break. It'll be right back in just a minute or two with uh, Bass Elite Pro, Drew Benton. We'll be right back after this. Cortland Line Master Braid, America's premium super braided fishing line. Manufactured in our Cortland, New York facility and constructed from the highest quality spectra fibers available. Portland Line Company, made in America since 1915. Well, I have to have the best eyewear. My eyes are essential to doing my job. It's the highest quality lens that I've ever used. Top of the line performance in these glasses. But they're priced for absolutely everyone. The everyday angler can afford them. As a touring professional pro, if I can depend on them, I know the weekend angler can as well. Hobie Eyewear, built for the pros, price for everyone. 